0: there and welcome to episode six of F&B Soundbites, a podcast on hot topics, trends and challenges for professionals in the food and beverage industry. I'm your host Hamish McCook. Uh, We're doing something a little bit different today. Today is the first in a two-part series where we're talking about uh, Singapore, the interesting challenge that the Singapore government has set um, for the country um, around driving their levels of food self-sufficiency and the interesting Um, ways that they're innovating to create and and reach towards that aspiration, Um, as well as some of the the flow on positive impacts from this drive towards the the challenge they have. So sit back and enjoy as we are introduced to Bruce and Joelle from our Singapore office. Joelle is a self-confessed recovering architect, accidental economist, and a marketer on training wheels. Jo is passionate about advancing green growth, economic growth based on circular principles on her little island called Singapore uh, and is leading the Singapore office into new and exciting areas, one of which is in the area of sustainable food production. Bruce Neville is an unexpected flying Kiwi who moved to Singapore from New Zealand last year to help grow our digital consulting business. Bruce has a naval engineering background and a vast amount of experience working with complex systems across a range of industries and market sectors. He's passionate about using new technologies and smart ways for better outcomes. So welcome, uh, Joel, and welcome, Bruce. Thank you. Thanks, Hamish. So, so nice to have you along today. I'm personally really interested in, in our discussion today. I've been long fascinated with Singapore, uh, a really small island nation, uh, densely populated with, with very few assets, but uh, a, an island nation that's become an absolute leading light in the ASEAN region in terms of its productivity, economy, and adoption of new technologies. It's, it's fascinating. So I'm, I'm hoping today that we can have a really interesting discussion about how that is playing out in the food and beverage space and uh, maybe we can you know, unlock some of the, the reasons that, that they're leading leading the world in, in many regards. So perhaps, Joelle, you work in our, our Singapore office, and you're actually from Singapore as well, which is great. Would you mind sort of helping me understand what the sort of situation Singapore finds itself in and, um, and what they're doing with respect to food and beverage from a, from a governmental perspective and a national perspective, what's, what's going on um, and what, what are some of the challenges they're facing in Singapore and what are they doing to solve them?
1: Yeah. So very good morning everyone. Um in Singapore with as you mentioned, you know, it's a small island, we've got very little farming land. Um there are quite a few organic vegetable farms up north and you know some show farms yeah. here and there, but generally agriculture is not a big industry. And quite recently About, I think, a couple of years ago, the government wanted to increase our um, food security and and food resiliency and and announced the target for 30 by 30, which is um, to produce 30% of our food locally by 2030. That's quite a a sizable um, Mm. increase from from where we are at now. We import something like 90% of our food from everywhere around the world. And in fact, actually, in in terms of food security, um, Singapore is... I think by far the top in terms of um, just global food security because we import from so many different sources, but um, therein also lies that problem, right? Because we import so much of the food, we produce so little, it, it actually presents um, quite an interesting challenge, especially during this season, right? When mm. we had borders closing on us and food security issues were becoming more pertinent.
0: Yeah. I just want to expand on that, actually, but I think that's an interesting point. The, um, you're right. So Singapore is rated as the, um, I can't remember exactly, um, we could probably put a link to it in the, the text afterwards, but it's rated as the uh, the best performer globally for uh, food security, not because they have an abundance of natural assets, but because they've got a number of different strategies at play to manage their food security. It's a critical issue for Singapore as a nation and the government. So it helps to explain why why they've set such a, an ambitious target to um, treble the amount of um, locally produced and grown foods. that's interesting. So, so you're saying that they've they've got a, a deficit of resources to do that at the moment. Um, so that does pose a question from you know from my perspective, and maybe from the listeners as well. What are the sort of things that they would actually look to do to to make such a dramatic change in food production on an island with such scarce natural resources?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting technology problem we've got there. Some of the Farms we have up north of the island, and I say up north is actually just twenty minutes drive from my place. No, nowhere is okay. more than forty minutes away. <laughs> yeah. It's Basically, just open farm, you know, with a, with a greenhouse top. And, and most of the farms in Singapore are like that, right? And it's okay. open farms. But um, over the last, I would say, five, last five years, yeah. we've seen an increase in vertical farming. So these are mm. vegetables laid on trays and um, hooked on a conveyor belt on, a, on an A-frame that goes up something like two or three stories and they just rotate these vegetables on trays so that everyone gets... Um, Every one of those little wee cabbages get enough sunlight throughout the day, and uh, so we see increase of vertical farming. Yeah, and mm. and over the last again same last five years, we've seen indoor precision farming coming up as well.
0: Indoor precision farming is it?
1: Yeah, indoor okay. precision farming. So basically, growing vegetables in a controlled environment. You've got lighting, ventilation, carbon dioxide, everything really controlled. You've got the farmers in lab coats, mm. so that ensures. Um, uh, food safety and hygiene, and that's okay. basically how they farm. So yes. there's some um, vertical farming, which, um, like I want, what I mentioned, it's basically rows of cabbages or whatever vegetables on a tray, yeah. and you rotate them on the A-frame. You've got the indoor precision farming, which is uh, climate-controlled labs and uh, vegetables or fruit grown in a tightly controlled environment. It's basically a lab environment. And you've got urban farming. So these are basically rooftops from our public housing estates that are freed up for farmland. So Hmm. those are kind of much smaller scale, you know, neighborhood community type of farms, but it does help in educating, you know, everyone about the importance of growing your own. And there are some really interesting trials like urban farms paired with aquaculture. So you've got leafy greens growing at the top, you've got um, fish at the bottom, kind of, you know, having a bit of that Circular symbiotic relationship mm. because the waste from the from the fish is going to nourish the vegetables and you know and and they are taking of obviously the water from the fish tanks as well. So quite interesting um, setup. So some of it is just kind of a variation of traditional technology. Mm. Some of it is you really require quite some new thinking um, in terms of growing food. And obviously there's other categories as well. You know we're just talking about agriculture at the moment. Yeah. There are weird and well wild, wild things happening in the in the land of lab grown meats and cell cultured meats and all yes. that. stuff. So I don't yeah. think that's a topic we'll unpack today, but...
0: Yeah, and that would count as well, presumably, if it's being grown in Singapore. Mm, that's interesting. So there's actually a range of different approaches that um, the government is supporting. Um, they're, not, they're not doing this, but they're actually just providing seed capital presumably to um, help individuals into the either vertical farming or into precision farming or urban farming. So we're getting a range of small um, almost like experimental farming and, and growing and, and, and some land-based agriculture as well. I think also you've got um, agriculture set up around the island as well. That's presumably going to be a part of the increase, the 30% 2030 as well. Now, one of the challenges I've got is that it may not be very efficient or cost effective. Um, so one, and if it's not efficient or cost effective, it'll be more expensive. And you know, I'm, I'm just wondering what are the thoughts around how to actually scale it up, uh, make it you know, more um, effective. I mean, Bruce, have you got any thoughts about, sure. about the challenge around that? So you're quite right.
2: You yeah, know, there are some competing demands. On the one hand, it's a small island. There's a lot of competition for space. From an urban planning point of view, the government's made it very clear that they want Um, a clean green environment for the citizens Mm, to live in so they want to take up any more space than needed so vertical infrastructure is incredibly important here in Singapore and multi-story structures for doing farming and food production are are going to be the way of the future going up or going down into the ground. Mm, Um, The other challenge here in Singapore of course is the climate Um, we're on the equator so you know as, as the climate changes, these parts of the world are going to suffer significant impacts in terms of not only the surrounding environment, as it gets hotter and wetter, you know, ocean rising as well. So climate resistant sustainable technologies is a real key feature. The other the other key mm. point is water usage. It's a small island. Um, yeah. So, and particularly the precision farming uses a lot of water. Water is a key mm. element. No, I mean, plants right. Plants need water. And so... Recycling water, minimizing the use of, of water coming in there, I mean, I'm not sure whether a lot of people realize is that Singapore s- strives to recycle all their water. So mm. they, because it's a small island and densely populated, they are able to recycle everything. So mm. minimizing water use is, is important. Energy use, similar thing. You know, we, this this little island doesn't have too many natural sources of en- energy, unlike New Zealand, of course, where hydroelectric power is, you know, readily available. A lot of investment, many mm. many years ago. Mm. This country has to manufacture all its energy. So, and, and these precision, particularly precision farms, use a lot of energy. The climate is tightly controlled, as Joel mentioned. It's like a laboratory. To scale it up to, you know, to an industrial scale, it's going to require large amounts of energy. So yeah. making it energy efficient, sustainable energy. And I guess the, the third element, which is a challenge here in Singapore, as it will be by 2030 in other parts of the world, is manpower. Right. So okay. the aging population, it's predicted by 2030 here in Singapore that one in four Singaporeans will be over, over the age of 65. So there's a real drive to reduce the requirement for manpowers. So yeah. then then leads to higher levels of automation. And 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 Hamish, as we talk around in another industrial context, you know, the factory of the future, you know, the lights out factory. Yeah. How can how can we reduce the, you know, the human intervention required to keep these industrial complexes going? So there are some really competing demands and and you mentioned before um startups and in small operations and, and Joel talked about that as well that's a real challenge for the government so to, to get this thing moving we've got to move we've got we've got to move from the the startup concept into scaling it up to industrial strength so no longer mm. little cottage farms and everything else how can they get the scale to actually achieve that 30 by 30 ambition real interesting challenge.
0: That is, that is. Uh, Actually, I guess I'm just sort of reflecting on your comments around some of the constraints there. Traditional thinking perhaps around um, creating such a dramatic increase in produce um, or food production would be that you absolutely need to have land. You must have the land being rained upon or sort of a a natural source of water. You uh, also Absolutely need to have the staff, the people to work the fields, and and you need the sunshine. You need you need lots of sunshine as well. But the interesting thing for me is that you've just explained the strategies that uh, that are being employed to produce food without potentially without natural sunshine, with mm-hmm. re, with water that's fully recycled without land actually you know vertical multiple layers and buildings and whatnot um the energy i think potentially is, is is a challenge but also you know and um reducing the amount of human activity to create that produce as well so i think it, with or without industrialization um i think it, it seems as though singapore is going to be um experimenting lots of what, hundreds of little developments that and um companies that are experimenting and developing something new and creating um, new ways of approaching it. And um, it feels like a real hothouse, not only of food and produce, but also a hothouse of, of amazing ideas and, uh, and intellectual property as well. One of the things that we do see when we look at a trajectory of productivity in food production um, across history um, is that we, we always tend to get Better. We always tend to get more from it and there are a lot of drivers and the drivers include you know, genetics, selection um, and the way that we manage those resources like land, water and, and, and sunlight. But it seems to me that in the situation you have in Singapore, you'll be able to um, more tightly control those things and manage them and, and um, it's difficult to say where the, where the roof is in terms of potential for Singapore to grow its own produce.
2: So, so Hamish, my commentary on that would be... The observation I have is geopolitically or or just politically, what we see in Singapore is very stable government. So since, you know, gaining independence 55 years ago, there has been very stable government, which which has meant that they've been able to make long-term investments, long-term planning. And, you know, there's some commentary I often make is that this is one of the few countries in the world that has been able to unleash quite large amounts of funding to go back into the economy during COVID without having to borrow money. So very astute leadership of the economy has followed through Mm -hmm. in terms of the the economic resilience that we're seeing nowadays. And this is the same in terms of these long-term plans. So unlike other countries which have short election cycles and changes to government, because the government here is actually reasonably stable, long-term investment is able to be made, long-term plans, and we can see these sort of targets which enable multinationals to come into Singapore with some assurance that if they invest, the rules are not going to suddenly change. There's not going to be some new planning rules. So if it makes sense Mm. for the population of of Singapore, the government will will invest and and will give, as I said, multinationals the assurance that um, long-term strategies are going to be followed through with. So, Mm. yeah, 30 by 30 is is an ambitious um, target, but this little country has got – a history of achieving ambitious targets, and mm-hmm. the population will go through it because ultimately it's good for the population here.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it's it's one important strand of potentially another a a number of other strategies that Singapore has with respect to security and resilience as well. So it's it's not um, an isolated initiative; it's a fully aligned it as totally a part aligned. of. Yeah, no, that's um, it's very very interesting as well. Okay, so that's where we'll leave our conversation with Bruce and Joelle. This is part one of a two-part series, so we'll pick up the conversation again with them uh, next time around. So thanks very much for joining us this time, and until then, as we say in New Zealand, hi, and farewell.